Good morning, Mercy Road. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? Yeah, man, it is so good to be with you all. Uh, my name is Nate, if I haven't met you yet, and I'm just excited to jump into today. But before we do that, man, God's moving in some incredible ways through the life of our church and just the family of churches, the movement we get to be a part of. And you might not realize this, but this morning, Mercy Road Church Anderson had their grand opening. So can we just celebrate that? Yeah. Yeah, man. We've already seen some incredible things. I know Pastor Josh and uh, Lisa are up there this morning, so they'll get to share with us just a report next week of what God did uh, today up there. But that is happening, and we had a night of worship up there. We had 13 baptisms there already in Anderson. Can we celebrate that also? Yeah. And then here at Carmel, you should have seen flyers around this morning on your seat. We are launching this coming Sunday, Mercy Road Church Espanol. And I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yes. Yes, we've got some love in the room. That's awesome. Uh, and we just want to be clear as we do that, that this is not a separate church that we are launching within a church. This is a fourth service for us because we are one church, and that is very much our heart in that. So this is going to be as much a part of our church as we can make it. And maybe you know some people in your life that are Spanish speakers. Grab one of those flyers. Use it to invite them to church because you never know the impact that a simple invite can make in the life of somebody. So I just want to encourage you to be praying for that. We're excited about how God is going to use that to move. And this week we are kicking off our Underground Jesus series, which I'm excited to get to kick off with you all today. Now I've been following this story uh, last week, and it's regarding NASA actually messing something up, which I'm like, these are, you know, the brilliant minds in the world coming together. And what, what happened is that somebody was sending the wrong commands to one of their main deep space satellites, the Voyager 2, which is something like 15 billion, million, uh, 15 billion miles away from Earth or something like that. And they sent the wrong commands to it. Because of that, it caused this satellite's antenna to get off kilter by just 2%. Just away from Earth enough that they've now lost contact with it. Now they're receiving some signals what they're calling a heartbeat to let us know that it's still out there somewhere. But can you imagine being that guy that like millions and millions of dollars worth of equipment and you lost it? <laughs> that would be a bad day on the job. Uh, but also because NASA, because they're so smart, what they've done is they've actually programmed into the satellite that several times a, a year it will do a reset, reorient itself back to, to line up with Earth. And I just think that's so brilliant. And I think about us as a church, and I realize this, that sometimes we can go about, you know, being the church and doing what churches do. Or we can even go about in our own lives. And over time, we can begin to slowly lose focus and just to get off kilter just enough that we tend to sometimes forget in our lives to be the believers or to be the kind of church that God has called us to be. And so when we do this series every single fall, it is like that reset that is meant to just recenter us back to God and say, this is the church that he's called us to be a part of. So in this Underground Jesus series, we're going to be talking about things like our motto uh, today, M-O-T-T-O. We're going to be looking at our mission next week with Pastor Josh. And then week three, I'm going to come back and share our model, which is to follow Jesus up and in and out. And then that last week, Pastor Josh is going to be sharing this movement that we get to be a part of to reach a million people in the state of Indiana for Christ in our lifetime. So I'm excited about that. Anybody else excited to jump into this? Yeah, it's going to be amazing. And we're looking today at our model, which is to live boldly and to love deeply. 
Now, you've seen this around, and maybe you don't know what a motto is, so I just want to define that for us. A motto, if we can put up the definition, is a short sentence or phrase chosen as encapsulating the beliefs or ideals guiding an individual, a family, or an institution. So for us, that phrase, live boldly, love deeply, is something that we want to actually guide us. And mottos are so powerful, and they can really set the culture of an organization, of a church, or even as a family. So we have one in my family. We have a motto in my family, and it's one that my dad always says, and he always goes, you can either, you can either laugh or cry about it. We're going to choose to laugh about it. What does he mean by that? He means that we are that family that will sometimes laugh at, like, really inappropriate times, like at a funeral sometimes, you know. Um, well, I'll share this story. So my younger brother got married about six years ago, and the night of their wedding... My grandpa ended up having a heart attack in the hotel that we were staying in and passed away. And so it, it was tragic and just brutal. I can't imagine the night of your wedding, that happening. So the, the next morning, we're all sitting there as a family just shocked. You go from this high to like this low, and we're just trying to make sense of the whole thing. And this wedding was in Omaha where my sister-in-law is from. And we had like this big steak dinner the night before. And somebody in our family said... I think it was that Omaha steak that did grandpa in. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? Uh, that we are just that family. And that's one of the reasons why with my wife, I just, my wife is one of the people I have the hardest time sitting in church next to. Because she's usually leaning over, making some joke that is probably inappropriate. And I'm like, can you help me out? I'm trying to get focus, get my heart right to get up and go preach. Like, will you stop it, right? But we're just a family that we're going to laugh a lot because it's a motto of our family. So when we talk about our motto as a church today, to live boldly, to love deeply, I believe that it's something powerful that can really determine the kind of culture that we want to be as a church. And I think that the early church is a great example of what we're talking about today. So turn with me to Acts 3. And we're going to be looking at this. And we're going to be asking this question, what does it look like for us to live boldly and love deeply today? What does it look like for us? In Acts 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple to go worship God in the temple. And as they come across this man who's handicapped, he begs them for some food or money. And they end up doing this healing miracle that we're going to read about. And it says this, but Peter said to him, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people who saw him walked, walking and praising God. And they recognized him as that man who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. So Peter and John, they're going about their business, going about their day, going to the temple, and they see this man who's begging them for food or money, and they end up giving him something even greater than that, something that he's never had his entire life before. They actually heal him, and he's able to get up and walk, and he begins praising God. And what they were doing in the moment is living out our twofold mission that we'll talk about as a church a lot, that God has given to every single believer this twofold mission, and a twofold mission is this, to share our faith and to help those in need. You can think of it this way, that the share our faith side is the live boldly side. And to help those in need is the, the, the love deeply side of what we're called to do as believers. And Peter and John are just doing that. 
and they begin to gather a crowd and they use this opportunity actually to proclaim the name of Jesus, to share the gospel, but not everyone is excited about it. Look at what happens, Acts 4, verse 1. It says, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and hear this, the number of the men came to about 5,000. This is not including uh, women and children. This is just the men who believed. So God uses them as they proclaim boldly the name of Jesus to actually allow over 5,000 people to come to faith in Jesus that day. And it just blows me away that you read about the acts of the early church in the book of Acts and how God uses this group of men who many of them are maybe uneducated and uh, not, you know, the, the power so be back in that day. But God uses them to actually change the world. And we are here today because of them. Because of how that this movement of God that began with the small group of disciples begins to spread throughout their world back then. It has spread worldwide now. And the church is alive and well and we get to be a part of that movement and how God used them. So my question for us as we jump into this message today is this, what would it take for us to change our world today? What would it take for us to change our world today in the same way that the disciples did back in that day? And I want to tell you this, that it begins with us learning how to live boldly. That is sharing our faith and also learning how to love deeply by meeting the needs that we see around us. Will you pray with me? Father, we just pause right now as we jump into this message as we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks what it looks like for us to be the church that you've called us to be and to live boldly, to love deeply, to reach people for you, to see people that are far from you, disciple and do a passionate relationship with you and to follow you up and in and out and all these things that we're going to be covering in this series, I pray that you would begin to speak to each and every one of us to be asking what does that mean for me personally? What do I need to do? with this truth that we're going to be receiving. And as we open up your word, God, would you just speak to us? Would you allow me to just move out of the way today? Would you speak so clearly? Would you convict us, beginning with me first, God? Challenge us and would you call us into something greater today? In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Um, you guys remember Popeye the Sailor? Anybody in here grew up watching that cartoon? Popeye the Sailor, giant forearms, man. Uh, he was the this. A cartoon character that would eat like a can of spinach and then gain this like superhuman strength, would not get tired and would like beat up all the bad guys and everything. And he had that phrase, you know, I'm strong to the finish because I eat my spinach. You guys remember that? I think he actually said I eat my spinach. That's not correct grammar. But Popeye was known for, you know, spinach empowering him and we do all these incredible things, which if you're a parent, by the way, that is a great way to get your kids to eat their vegetables. I just, I'm just throwing that out there. But when you get to the book of Acts, there's something that the disciples, that the church receives, that empowers them to be able to do something that is not just superhuman, something that is supernatural. And here's what it is. And the entire book of Acts hinges on this one verse right here. It's this, Jesus speaking to the church and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, you're going to receive supernatural power through the Holy Spirit and you are going to change the world. 
And here's the good news I have for you if you're a believer in Jesus is that this, that you don't need to eat your spinach. You got something that is much greater than that because the, the scriptures tell us that the same power, the same Holy Spirit that was alive, that was at work in Jesus, that defeated death, that conquered sin, that raised Christ from the dead, that same Holy Spirit is at work and alive in every single one of us believers in Jesus. That Jesus through the Holy Spirit is taking these men that were nothings back in the day, transforming them, empowering them. You might not have superpowers, but you have a supernatural power living inside of you that is able to empower you to do things that you could never do on your own. That transforms us to be used by God. If you're taking notes this morning, how do we change our world? Number one, it begins with being transformed by Jesus. Be transformed by Jesus. That the Holy Spirit brings power and transformation into our lives. Look at what happens next. Chapter 4, verse 8. It says, then Peter, here it is, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if, you're being, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before you. And it says this drop down in verse 13. It says that now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, being with Jesus changes the game. It changes everything about your life. That that moment that you surrendered your life to Jesus, that you stepped across the line of faith and you received Jesus, it says that the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you begins the work of making you new. It's like a tenant that would move into a house and begins to move around the furniture to change some things to reflect what they are like inside the house. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he takes up residence within us, begins to make us new, begins to empower us, begins to transform us. And these disciples are a great example of that. That these common, uneducated men, they're standing before the leaders of that day and articulating this speech. And these guys are like, how can that be? These guys are uneducated. How could they speak with such authority and conviction and power? It is all because of the Holy Spirit transforming them, which is why for every single one of us as believers, it's not enough to just raise a hand, pray your prayer, surrender your life to Jesus. There's also the part of being with Jesus that actually transforms us. It says the reason why they recognize that, they say, man, that, no, they, they've been with Jesus. So can I ask you this, that in your life, is your life showing evidence of you being with Jesus? Being transformed by him? That yes, you surrendered your life to Jesus, but are you also carrying your cross every single day and dying to yourself to follow Jesus? Are you every day in your life choosing to repent from sin and turning towards him and following him and seeking to live a life of obedience? Are you spending time with him in a way that transforms you so that when people encounter you, they can see Jesus so clearly in and through your life? See, I have a problem with so many times now looking around in our churches all around us, even just in the world in general, and seeing people that claim the name of Jesus, and yet their lives look nothing different from the world. And I think there's a real danger in that and a real warning in that for us because I just believe that spending time with Jesus... Encountering Jesus transforms us, it changes us, it never leaves us the same. And these men are evidence of that. So maybe we're in your life. Could you begin to live differently? Could you begin to spend more time with him? 
because we live busy lives as well and it's easy to just allow for your faith to become this thing that is not as much a priority for, it, for you anymore. But as you, as you learn to make time to be with Jesus, you'll begin to see him transform you so that you can then be used by him to change the world. Number two, if you're taking notes this morning, how do we change the world? Number two, it's by being unashamed of the name of Jesus. Be unashamed of the name of Jesus. Now, there's a group of people right now, maybe you're friends with them on social media as well. They are like the most unashamed group of people that I've seen in our culture today. Because they're really passionate about this one artist who's been touring all around the world, who's selling out stadiums, who's adding multiple shows. And all the fans of this artist are like traveling from city to city, following them around, sharing their music, sharing lyrics from their songs. They're even making bracelets about it. And the artist I'm talking about is T-Swift. Any Swifties in the room here? Yeah? Anybody? No? Not as much? Not in this service? Uh, now, what I will share is that in college, uh, back in college, I might have been a little bit of a Swiftie myself. Um, and so I had a 1998 old, beat-up, rusty Ford pickup truck. And when you drop down the visor to that baby, it was lined with Taylor Swift CDs in there that one of my friends had made me. Uh, but T-Swift fans right now are so unashamed. They make sure that you know that they're a fan of that. And I look at that and I'm just thinking like, there's so many things in the world that people get really unashamed about and excited and passionate about. But when it comes to our faith in Jesus and the name of Jesus, that we tend to sometimes be so timid and shy about it or, or maybe fearful to name the name of Jesus. But look at the example that we see from the disciples here in verse 18. They call them and they begin to charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them. They said, whether it's right in your sight for us to teach of these things or not, we, we would rather obey God than obey you. When they further threatened them, they let them go, find, finding no way to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Because the man who was healed was more than 40 years old. See, what happens a lot of times in our culture today is you can do all these great things. Yes, you can go feed the hungry. Yes, you can go help the poor. Yes, you can go do all these things. Just don't name the name of Jesus. Does that sound familiar? The minute you name the name of Jesus, that our culture tends to push back on that and have an issue with that. And I just want to say this, that when people have a problem with you naming the name of Jesus in culture today, they don't really have a problem with the name Jesus itself because they will use that as a swear word. The problem that they have with the name Jesus is everything that that name stands for. Because see, the name of Jesus is also convicting. It reminds us that we are sinners who are fallen who actually need a savior, who came down into our world, and that the only way to God, the only way to heaven is through Jesus alone, that the name of Jesus stands for something. And so often in our, our world today that we as Christians, we tend to just be ashamed maybe of the name of Jesus, that we just won't name it. Well, they know what I believe. Well, they know that I go to church. Well, they know I'm a good person, and we never take the time to actually do things, to do good all in the name of Jesus and if we're going to change the world, it means that we need to be unashamed to name the name of Jesus. No matter what that looks like. Because guys, see, there is so much power in the name of Jesus. Here's what Paul writes in Philippians 2. He says that because Jesus humbled himself, came down into our world, defeated death, conquered sin, rose again from the dead, is victorious, is seated on the right hand of God. He says this, that God has bestowed upon Jesus the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess in heaven and on earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
There is power in the name of Jesus. And we need to be the kind of believers that are unashamed to declare his name because we know the end of the story, we know how the book ends, that one day every single knee is going to bow before our Lord. And because every knee will bow, we can stand confident, unashamed of his name in this world that we're living in right now. And I just want to tell you that it's going to get harder and harder to name the name of Jesus in our culture. But here's the hope in that, that in the places around the world where the persecution is the hardest, where naming the name of Jesus could literally cost you your life, the church is also growing the fastest. Because see, we have an enemy who's trying to work against what God is doing in saving men and women, calling men and women back to himself. But we also know that we have a God who has already defeated the enemy, who in the midst of persecution is growing the church. The church is spreading rapidly, is alive and is well, and we get to be a part of that movement worldwide. So what does it look like for you in your life to begin to live unashamed of the name of Jesus? What, what is it maybe that you might find yourself and say, when I get around these groups of people, it is harder and harder for me to just share my faith. Or to just say like, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Is it at your place of work maybe? Is it on the sports team that you're a part of? Is it that group of friends that maybe you hang out with that, yeah, they know that you go to church, but... Have you actually unashamedly shared the name of Jesus before and declared your faith in him? And here's the thing. You never know how actually naming the name of Jesus could transform somebody else's life. Because they are unashamed. Over 5,000 people. They could have just healed them and that could have just been a good deed that they did. But no, they said, let it be clear that it is in the name of Jesus that this man is standing before you, that this man is walking before you and God uses that. To draw over 5,000 people to faith in him that day. Can you just imagine the kind of impact that we can have as a church if we begin to live unashamed of the name of Jesus? To live boldly? And as I talk about that, I just want to clarify because when we, when we think of living boldly sometimes, there's different maybe ideas that we have of living boldly, what that looks like. And I just want to be clear that when we, we're talking about boldness, what do I mean by that? Boldness is simply this. Boldness is confidence to live unashamed of the name of Jesus. Boldness is confidence to live unashamed of the name of Jesus. Here's what boldness is not. Boldness is not the guy standing on the corner of a street with a megaphone, screaming out hateful messages at sinners. That's not what boldness, what we're talking about. Because see, if you're taking notes this morning, number one, boldness is not being loud. That some of the godliest people I know, some of the boldest Christians I know are also some of the quietest, soft-spoken people that you'll come across. But their boldness, their confidence in Jesus is so evident throughout their life. And God is using them in such a powerful way. So boldness is not being loud. Number two, boldness is not being a jerk. Listen, the gospel is offensive enough on its own. We don't need to add offense to it. And we've made it such an offensive thing sometimes for people because of our own attitude or whatever it is. And boldness is not being a jerk. Number three, get this one. This one is really important. Number three, uh, boldness is not being weird. Don't be weird. I'm begging you, please do not be weird. That sometimes we just make church this weird thing and non-believers are like weirded out by it. Like, please don't be weird. Don't be weird and then call it boldness. Like, that's not boldness. You're not being bold. You're just being weird, okay? Can I say that? Amen? All right. Uh, number four, boldness isn't creating an us and them mentality. 
that there's so many people for the sake of claiming to be bold or whatever it is that they look at everybody else and everybody else has got it wrong and they have it right. What that ends up doing is creating an us and them mentality. Can I just remind us that the ground at the foot of the cross is a level? That there's, there's only one person that stands above everybody else and it's Jesus. And the rest of us, we stand at the foot of the cross on level ground. So when we get all puffed up in our own air against the well, we're right and we're this and everybody else is wrong. And that's not the kind of boldness that we're talking about. That isn't boldness. And lastly, number five, boldness isn't creating unnecessary obstacles that keep people from encountering Jesus. That's not what boldness is. That so many people also in the church, sometimes they'll start to create these extra additional things that you don't really see in Scripture. But they are so loud and so passionate about. Can I just tell you that you might be shocked to know this, but some people might actually be a genuine believer in Jesus and not think like you. Not necessarily eat like you, drink like you. Uh, how about this? They might be a genuine believer in Jesus and not vote like you. And we've made those things that become associated with faith in Jesus and added all these unnecessary obstacles that keep people from actually encountering Jesus. When none of those things are in Scripture. None of those things are in Scripture. Boldness is just confidence in Jesus, what he's done for us in the resurrection and being unashamed about this, period. That's the kind of life that he's called us to live in. What does living unashamed of the name of Jesus look like for you? Where do you need to begin to do that more? Do what we're talking about here. And they arrest them and they, they release them. And you might expect them to go back and to pray for God to make their circumstances easier. No, they do the opposite. They actually gather, verse 29, and they pray for God to give them more boldness. And that one challenges me. In this, like, comfortable suburban area that we live in, where it's all about convenience, what's easy for me, that they, they are arrested, tried, released, and then they actually pray for more boldness. To do the very thing that got them arrested in the first place. They're kind of like this. They're like, okay, you don't want me to Jesus? Well, I'm going to Jesus even harder. Watch me do it. That's at least how I summarize it. And that one really just challenged me as I was reading through it because I can just be so comfortable in my faith sometimes. It's like whatever is convenient, when it's easy to share my faith, when it's easy to do this, when it's easy to invite somebody to church and I will do it. And they show us that no matter what the circumstances, they are praying for more boldness. And God is using them because they're unashamed to continue to change their world. Number three, if you want to change the world, how do you do it? By being a conduit of the love of Jesus. By being a conduit of the love of Jesus. And I'm teaching my kids right now at home about electricity. Because we bought my son one of those ride-on toy cars, you know. And he loves it. Man, he'll ride it in the backyard and has so much fun on it. But what will happen is the battery will get drained. And then when I'm not around, I discovered this. That he was dragging that thing to the garage. Plugging it in himself. And I'm like, bro, you do not want to mess with that. Trust me, from experience... I've been zapped multiple times. You are not going to like it. It is very dangerous. Trying to teach him about electricity and how that works. But those of you that are electrical engineers in here, you know that it's all about the conduits. And what happens is that I can go to my house and I can plug something into the wall and it just works. And on a hot summer day here in Indiana, like what we've had, anybody thankful for AC that works because electricity is powering that? Yeah, and you get to reap the blessings of that, walking into a nice cold house and you're like, oh, man, this is great. And we live in a neighborhood that has underground utilities, so I don't even see my power lines. 
I don't even know where the transformer is that is like sending all this power to my house. I just know that it works and I just know that I like what it does for me. As believers, I like to think of our role in that way. That we are meant to be like that underground conduit of God's love. That the world might not even know Jesus or see him. But yet they experience the real blessings of his love because of the way that we live out our faith every single day. And the early church, they just keep doing this. They're a great example of that. And throughout the entire history of the church, whenever there's been wars, whenever there's been plagues or disasters that have happened, Christians and the church have always been the first one to respond and to help and to meet a need. Because our faith, because of the love that we receive from Jesus, leads us to also meet the needs of other people who have needs. And look at what they did within the body in Acts 4, verses 32. It says, now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and was distributed to each one of them as they had a need. Wow. Does that challenge me, reading about that? And I'm not saying that what we're reading about here in the book of Acts is something meant for us to replicate that today. But here's how we look at that and interact with that. To ask the question, what does truly loving deeply look like in our world today? What does loving like Christ look like in our world today, in our our context? Because for them, it was asking that question, what what does love look like that led them to actually sell everything that they had, to have everything in common, to make sure that nobody amongst them would have a need? So can I ask you that question again? What does loving deeply look like for us today? Does God perhaps want to use us to be the kind of church that meets needs both within and outside of the church as well? So that what would it look like if we were to be a church that you just look around and we could say about Mercy Road Church that nobody had a need amongst us here. Because we loved one another in that way. We're willing to meet the needs of the other people that we see around us. And what would it look like for us to begin to meet the needs of the world around us in that way? And I, when we're talking about love, it, it just strikes me every time that when God is talking about love, he doesn't say that he has love. It says that God is love. And those who belong to him are to be marked by love, which is why Jesus says this. In John 13, he says, by this people will all know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Unfortunately, what happens in our world today, that being a Christian doesn't necessarily just mean like, oh, they're the most loving person I know. That when you tell somebody they're a Christian, what most likely happens is they have in their mind all of the bad ideas and bad examples that as a church we've given them sometimes to think of the word, the word Christian rather than to think when they hear the word Christian, man, that is the most loving group of people I know. That is the most loving man, the most loving family I know. That is the most loving church I know. And what would it look like if we as a church began to actually change that by the way that we love the world? So here's a powerful truth as well is that deeply loved people are called to love deeply. Deeply loved people are called to love deeply. The same love that we've received from Jesus, what he's done for us. He now calls us to go and to love the world in that way as well. And when we're talking about love, here's what we don't mean by that. 
Here's what love isn't, because I think it's important to define that also. That is such a loaded, charged term right now in our world. So here's what love is not. Love isn't getting everyone to like you. They do something great for somebody who is more than 40 years old, who had never walked in his life before. It's such a blessing to him. And even in the midst of that, there were still some in that day that had an issue with this good deed that they had done. So love isn't about getting everybody to like you. Number two, love isn't affirming and agreeing with everyone. In this day and age where truth can just be kind of a relative thing and it's easy to just say, hey, just let everybody do whatever they want. Just as long as it's not hurting anybody else, you can just do whatever. Well, we as Christians who are called to love doesn't mean that we also have to agree and affirm everything either. Here's what love is in number three. Love isn't tolerating sin. Love isn't tolerating sin. We live in a culture right now that just preaches tolerance. And here's what I will say to you, that God didn't call us to tolerate the world. God called us to love the world. And that means that we live in this balance of the grace and the truth of Jesus. John says that when Jesus came into our world, he was full of both grace and truth. And Christians sometimes fall in either one of those ditches where they can just find themselves in, I'm over here in the grace camp and I'm just going to love everybody. I'm never going to stand for anything and everything just goes and I'm just going to affirm, affirm, affirm. And that's the grace side of that. And then you've got the other people in this other ditch over here that are the truth people that will take their Bible, thump it in your face, beat it in your face and tell you all the truth and everything you're doing wrong. And neither one of those are ways that God has called us to live. He's called us to live in the tension of both the grace and the truth of Christ. Because John says that Jesus came and he was full of both of those. And the true kind of love that the world wants, can I just tell you that it's not possible to love the world in that way on your own? Because I don't know about you, but man, there are some people that I just cannot stand. Can we just be real here? <laughs> there are some people that, yeah, you know, they just, whatever, for whatever reason, I'm just like, I just cannot stand them. And it's hard. And you probably have people like that in your life as well. And here, here's another big one for me. There are certain people that because of maybe their lifestyle or things that they're choosing to do are actually hurting people that I care about and causing a lot of harm in our world today. And there's something within me, the human side of me, that sometimes wants to do something about it, to even get physical sometimes about that. And the kind of love that we are talking about, to truly look at somebody like that, that maybe you cannot stand, that maybe you don't agree with, and to still love them anyways, is only possible through the power of Jesus, through the transformation that the Holy Spirit brings in our lives. See, the Holy Spirit transforms us and gives us wisdom to be able to discern and in every situation to go, what does it look like for me to live out both the grace and the truth of Jesus? with this person who's in front of me right now. And God has given every single one of us that Holy Spirit within us because he's deeply loved us. He's calling us now to go and not to tolerate or not to affirm. He's calling us to go and to actually love the world in a way that changes the world. Because see, our world today desperately needs real love. Not the kind of love that the world thinks love is, but the real kind of love that we see in the scriptures. You want to know what love, real love looks like? Look to Jesus. And it says this to us in John 3.16 that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's the kind of love that costs me something. It's the kind of love that does something. 
that sees a need and steps into the need. And it says it's also in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did you catch that? While we were yet sinners? Not when you believed all the right stuff, not when you cleaned up yourself, not when you were voting the right way, not when you're doing all these. No, no, no. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He met you right where you were in that mess of a life that you had made for yourself. And he loved you then. And he loves you now. And he's calling you to look at other people that might find themselves in their mess right now and to learn to love them in a way that transforms them into what God is trying to do in and through their life. God wants to use us to be a church that is both bold but also that is also marked with a deep love for the world in a way that can actually change the world. Here's some of the excuses that we make sometimes. Here's some of the ones that I've made in my own life for why God couldn't use me to change the world. Well, God, I'm just not old enough. Well, God, I'm just not educated enough. Well, God, I just don't know the Bible enough. Well, God, you don't really know the, some of the thoughts and some of the struggles that I have. And Well, God, I get anxiety when I get up in front of people. Well, God, I could just never do it as good as my dad did it. All these excuses, you fill in the blank for maybe some of the reasons that you've given to God for why he couldn't use you to actually change your world today. For every single one of those, God responds with the truth from his word, which is this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses. In other words, you are going to change the world. That God wants to transform every single one of us in here. He wants to use us to change our world. So how do you need to surrender to him today? To be used by him to make a difference in our world. Pray with me. Father, we just again come before you and we surrender to you, God. We just pray right now for your transforming work to continue in each and every one of our lives. Would you continue to make us new? Would you continue to use us to live boldly for you, to love deeply for you? God, maybe for that person in here right now who, like I have many times in my life, is telling you right now you could never use them because of their past or whatever is in their life right now, their addiction, their sin, whatever they're struggling with right now. God, you over and over again use people who are uneducated, unqualified. You transform them. You make them new. new. You, tr you make us into your workmanship to be used by you for good works that you prepared ahead of time for us. Would you just remind them of that today? God, would you step in? Would you use us to be a church that shares our faith, that meets the need of those that are in need around us? And would we be, would we be known for our love for one another, for our love for you, for our love for the world that you've called us to live in? We thank you and we love you. And we ask all these things now in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.